Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Today we are recording episode number 105 and it's another one of our expert talks and today we are talking with Lee Murray about speculative fiction writing. So welcome Lee. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, no worries. So Lee is a speculative fiction author and editor based in New Zealand. Her successes include becoming a USA Today bestseller, a four-time international Bram Stoker Award winner, and a winner of the Shirley Jackson Award. Lee has written a number of novels, novellas, short fiction, and poetry. She enjoys conjuring up stories for all ages from her home office, which overlooks a grassy cow paddock. That sounds very... New Zealand, <laughs> that last one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at that grassy cow paddock now, the sun's shining on it on a Sunday morning. So yes, yes, it's it's inspiring. It's a little boring, so that gives me some <laughs> me pause, <laughs> lets me, you know, reframe my thoughts. So yeah, and it's a great spot. I live in, in Toronga in the Bay of Plenty. Yeah, it just brings me back to um, when I used to live there, you know, also looking over grassy cow paddocks and I'm like, oh, I miss those days. <laughs> now my view is like, you know, a couple of like random roofs of houses from my second story little home office. So I'm like, I do miss the grassy cow paddocks. <laughs> but we'll start off with this discussion and I thought to lead in it might be good to have a quick definition of what speculative fiction writing is because it can be a little bit kind of wiffly waffly if you haven't really heard the term before so speculative fiction is a broad umbrella genre that looks at the what if um, encompassing elements that aren't present in reality nature recorded history or present time and with such an expansive definition, it's not surprising that there are a number of subgenres. So, speculative fiction includes science fiction, horror, fantasy, dystopian, and post apocalyptic genres, just to name a few, and there's many more as well. So that's just a brief summary about what it is. Would you agree in general with that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I totally agree with that. It's a really, you know, I do a talk of about two hours on what is speculative fiction and, you know, how does my work fit into speculative fiction and why is it important? And um, I could seriously talk forever on this because it is a really fuzzy, meta, generic sort of genre. And, you know, it, it covers a huge, range of, of subgenres like alternate history and superhero fiction mm -hmm. and utopian, dystopian, supernatural, space horror, military <laughs> fiction, cli-fi and fairy tales and paranormal and steampunk. I mean, urban fantasy, gothic, apocalyptic, you know, time travel, lit RPG, weird fiction. I mean, it's just huge, right? That's, so when yeah. we say it's a sub-genre, you know, it's a huge canopy of, you know, under which all these subgenres live, it, that's that's totally true. I mean, it's made up mostly of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Those are the key, big, big principal genres within speculative. 
And I mean, the term itself was coined by Heinlein in an essay back in 1947. It's quite famous now. And in the day, he was trying to sort of say my, his brand of science fiction was different from others because it, it really looked mm. at the human condition. It wasn't just, you know, gadgets. You know, he was yeah. trying to to put place himself in this sort of elitist position. And I mean, granted, the guy won a lot of awards. He won the Hugo <laughs> and various other things. So I suppose he had. But, you know, I think he was trying, you know, that that idea of elitism and not just sort of pulpy gadgets. And I think that, you know, that's been part of the problem, isn't it? Is that, you know, science fiction, fantasy and anything that's sort of not grounded necessarily in our real world can sort of be written off as a little bit, you know, not important or trivialized. And so this is part of the problem that speculative fiction is sort of dealt with, really, is that sort of marginalizing kind of attitude. And yet some of the most amazing fiction has fallen under this category. And, you know, it's it's really, it's a wonderful, wonderful genre for looking at um, new technologies, new socioeconomic politics and, and themes. It, it looks at, at climate change and environment, and it's encompassing in the sense that it is, it is a genre which works for children as well. I mean, all of our fairy tales and our, our fables and the things that we mm-hmm. tell children are almost entirely speculative. You know, three little pigs, you know, wearing trousers and talking. You know, you know it's just <laughs> yeah. a wonderful, wonderful genre for inclusivity. For us as New Zealanders, it allows us to pull in those, our wonderful New Zealand landscape and, and our the cultural diversity that we have here and for me you know it allows me to bring in my my culture my own cultural heritage as well as my love of science I'm a scientist by profession so for me to be able to do some research and pull in all those little you know those rabbit hole research rabbit holes sort of (laughs) deep delves that's something that I love as well so for me speculative fiction offered me an opportunity to create stories that are entertaining, engaging and relevant because they incorporated all these bigger, wider concerns and also those personal concerns. So, you know, Mm -hmm. things like I suffer from anxiety and depression and just, you know, it allows me to address those kinds of issues, fears. I'm a little person, a bit of an anxious piglet. And so I'm able to look at the things that frighten me, I mean, concern me and worry me. And and I think, you know, when you put them on the page, it just gives you an opportunity to create a bit of distance and maybe fight them, battle them, you know, bring them down, see a way through. And so for me, speculative offers this massive opportunity and I just haven't exhausted it yet. And maybe when I do, then then I'll think of writing something different. But but. Even within that, I'm still, I'm trying essay writing, looking at speculative, and I'm trying poetry now, writing speculative and horrors. So I think the opportunities just keep coming. Oh, I've also just written a screenplay. So, you know, it, it hasn't tired me yet. So I think it's just such an, it is the new black to me because we have so much happening in the world and we want to know what if, what's going to happen, what if, you know, what will our world look like? Is there a way through? How will we respond to these new pressures? And I think 
for that, it's just an exciting, exciting place to be in terms of inclusivity and all the rest. It's just the place to be, in my opinion. It's the it's a grown up genre that affects everybody. So yeah, <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> bit biased. <laughs> but yeah, I think your definition was good. <laughs> given that given that it is so, you know, encomp- all encompassing. I like that it's all encompassing because I was thinking about it and I was like, actually, even though they're like poles apart, both our works that Ashley and I have been writing, you know, the YA dystopian novels that we've been writing and the the ancient Greek history book that we've been writing, because it's a bit of a time travel one, like also sort of relate to the speculative fiction genre. So I'm really excited to (laughs) to sort of pick your brains about it. Yeah, I mean, we all love that, don't we? We all we all want to see into some other world. It's wonderful escapism and totally entertaining. And also you can, you know, without thumping people over the head with your theme, you can say, what does this look like if this had happened or this might happen? And it, it is really, truly exciting to be able to delve into that and see how we might behave in those mm-hmm. circumstances. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, it's just fun to read, isn't it? I mean, as a young person, (laughs) that's the stuff I loved, you know. So, naturally, I want to continue writing the stories and putting a little bit of myself in. Because one of the things I didn't see much when I was growing up, well, I didn't see at all, was, you know, an Asian Kiwi girl, you know, Mm -hmm. as a a heroine or a protagonist or, you know, anything that featured myself. And so – for me, it's an opportunity to explore that and see, you know, and learn a little bit more about myself through my writing. I think Ashley's commented on a similar thing before about, you know, having the sort of Asian Kiwi diversity bringing into writing and stuff. And because we had a bit of a chat about diversity and it's surprisingly hard to find writing that sort of includes that sometimes. So it's really good that I think diversity is increasing as well in fiction in general. Sorry, going slightly off topic. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. And I think, I think you know, but let's, let's just talk about, you know, the, the, the privilege of being able to write, you know. And, and the two of you, you know, you're, you're trying to fit it in around your young lives, you know, your studies and your travels and, and all of that kind of thing. But what a privilege to be able to write. And I think one of the, the problems, of course, you know, is that in traditionally literature has been a certain tranche of society and speculative does open us up to storytelling from indigenous cultures, from other groups, more marginalized groups, which I think is wonderful. And I just think, it, it, you know, we just need a little bit more open-mindedness on the part of funders and funding agencies and that kind of thing to see that actually there needs to be a, a more of a space for those groups you know, in yep. their programs, because we need to have the stories from those from those groups. You know, we cannot just have one group of society telling all the stories and missing all those the rich layers that that are and perspectives that are offered by other groups. So I think speculative fiction is is that genre that is very inclusive. I mean, let's just think about the New Zealand situation. You know. Um, And I think we're very open to that here. You know, Maori culture is very much a part of our everyday lives and it's written into Mm -hmm. law now. You know, like we've got the the Urawera Forest is an entity, a legal entity in itself. 
it has its own rights as a person. It has personhood. And that is a beautiful metaphor, but it is an extremely powerful thing because that basically says an indigenous concept of our mountains and rivers and trees and, and forests having personhood and character just becomes becomes a real thing. It is it is not just magical realism. It is real, and it is part of our actual legal framework now. And I just think, wow. So this is speculative fiction, if you like, magical realism. You know, indigenous storytelling, indigenous reality becomes part of this umbrella. And isn't that just incredibly inclusive and empowering and wonderful that especially New Zealand is offering this and making, you know, and making that part of our our literary landscape. I, I just find that extremely exciting and empowering and the opportunities for this wonderful, rich storytelling, which tells us something fresh. You know, I mean, that concept of the forest being, you know, and the land being our ancestor and nurturing us is so important. And when we're looking at something like climate fiction, that is the truth. You know, that's the reality. <laughs> um, it's not just fiction. And so to me, opening those indigenous, you know, stories to the rest of the world is a very important part of speculative fiction and I'm very excited for it. I think New Zealand in particular has, you know, a unique position to, to lead the way on this. Definitely. I would agree. I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm standing on my soapbox here, but I just believe this so, so much. We have so much talent down here and some wonderful Maori and Pacifica storytellers and, and and we also have other diverse cultures living within New Zealand, you know, and, and telling their stories from their perspectives within our landscape. And I think that that is, New Zealand is really uniquely positioned, I think. I would definitely agree. I was thinking that I hadn't really thought about, I guess, the relationship between like the Indigenous stories and storytelling but also the fact like you said that the forests and like the Uruwaras are considered you know a given person status which makes it really cool just really interesting link into well fiction and spec fiction like we're talking about I hadn't thought of that and I really like the idea of that it kind of like makes your mind like wander you're like oh the possibilities <laughs> It's huge, isn't it? It is huge. I mean, a tanifa is a metaphor for, you know, danger or possibility or we've moved motorways because the, the Maori have said, no, there's a tanifa here. There's, you know, we must not go there. And so we've moved things, you know. <laughs> um, and so New Zealand, in New Zealand, we're, we're prepared to say what if and move things according to those cultural stories and warnings and premonitions and soothsaying or or faith. And I, I think we do have to be very careful here because, of course, as I say, often, you know, one person's myth is another person's faith. So we have to be very mm -hmm. sensitive about the way we deal with these things. But it does, it's very, it's, it's very exciting and it does open so many possibilities for ways through, for new perspectives and ways through some of the problems that we're facing in the world today. Yeah, definitely. And like, it, I just was thinking it was really interesting because I was like, yeah, that is one really good way to protect, you know, the environment and stuff because, you know, you leave litter, you're defacing you know, a 
or you're basically assaulting yes, <laughs> yes. yes that the, is the environment exactly right. right yeah 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 so yeah it, it's a really interesting but like also very protective and very needed and thinking of the environment like a person yeah it definitely leads into speculative fiction and I think it it makes a more sensitive view but can also give you so many opportunities for expanding stories within that sensitive way of like what if you know this is a real thing what if like you give this personality yeah and it's real to someone I think that opening up magical realism, you know, those urban myths, those things that we all understand but don't, there's no real explanation, you know, I think that those possibilities are extraordinarily um, mind-opening, you know, because we yeah. do think what are the possibilities. And it is, like you said, that definition of speculative fiction is what if, but all fiction is what if. But speculative yeah, fiction just saying. stretches the mind yeah. a little bit, doesn't it? And just goes that yeah, little bit beyond more focused on the, what if. The, the, the just our internal conflict, but we're looking at the broader conflict and how we are going to, how our human behavior and our, you know, the human condition is going to be impacted in some way. And what? how do we come out at the other end? What do we learn? And I think that's, I mean, any story, for, for a satisfying story, we need to come out at the end and feel like we have learned something or that we have changed in some way and that protagonist has somehow survived or or moved forward or progressed or if there's a tragedy, we see, oh, what not to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I think while all fiction is conflict and all fiction asks what if, speculative asks that broader possibility, you know, what if and just beyond at the reach at the at the edge of of possibility and I think that 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 is particularly exciting definitely I think something interesting which I'm definitely keen to hear your answer about is when you're writing speculative fiction because that you know you are searching for the what if and you're stretching to those kind of the edges of possibility how do you generally go about making it feel authentic for your readers and bringing authenticity to you know if there's a sci-fi or a futuristic or a supernatural element can you tell us about some of the techniques that you use to make it feel real the techniques I use to make it feel real. And this is really tricky because, you know, writing is kind of magic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Sometimes you don't really think about it too much, right? Yeah, yeah, you kind of put it on the page. I mean, okay, you can say you're a plotter. This is this is the plot I want to follow. And then you and then you outline and then you fill it in. Or you can be a pantser and you can just pour it on the page and see what happens. And usually it's a a hot mess and then you have to go back and fix it <laughs> um, but how does that and I think it's just that authenticity of writing from your own self how would I behave what would I do in this you know what might I do what might this character do with this personality and these features and these flaws what might they do in this situation and just run with it um, and just be as true to it as you possibly can. And, of course, that means doing your research. What would their attitude be in this time, in this place, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and how what people's response to be? And, I mean, you know, it's that, is it Asimov? You know, any advanced technology might look like 
looks like magic, you know, that kind of that kind of thing. So I think it's a case of a little bit research and a little bit of just bringing your own personal experience to bear, you know, how does grief feel? You know, if you felt grief, then you can write that, you know, you can just, it's just to tap into those emotions, because really, that's what fiction's about, isn't it? It's tapping into the emotions and the feelings and the experiences of people. And of course, you can't touch everyone. Everyone brings their own experiences and, and perspective to to a text. And so sometimes you can touch people in ways that you just can't possibly imagine because you don't have their same lived experience. But you want to, as much as you can, bring them into yours. And if you can, step into someone else's and, and wear their shoes for a while, you know, so that the, the characters are as diverse and as authentic as possible. Tricky. <laughs> it yeah, is yeah, tricky. It is, it is very tricky. I mean, I think there are some things, when we say at the edge of possibility, I think there are some things that we can just envisage. I mean, we can envisage a time when there, when there is a water shortage, right? We can envisage mm -hmm. a time now when there's a pandemic that affects, you know, the, a global population. You know, we can, we can envisage a time when AI becomes intrusive you know, mm -hmm. into our into our lives and actually, you know, where AI has more control over our our data than we have, you know, we can envisage that. It's not so far away. In fact, it's almost here. It's it's here. And so and I think if we can envisage it, then we can sort of place ourselves in that situation and envisage how we might behave. And that's helpful because those things are coming and, and even speculative fiction can also create those things. So I think the first, I've, I know I've said this before, but I think the first time a tablet was seen on screen was, you know, Space Odyssey. And I think that, I can't remember what year that was seen in, but that was the first time a tablet was seen on screen, you know, and now we have them everywhere. And I often talk about, you true. know, Maxwell Smart and, you know, his shoe phone. And of course now we all carry a phone just doesn't happen to be in our shoe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Frankenstein, you know, Mary Shelley predicted, you know, using electricity to to resurrect the dead or resurrect bits of the dead. And now we have defibrillators, you know, on street corners and malls and, you know, places where people might need them. So, and don't forget, she postulated that even before we had electric arc lamps sort of routinely around the world. I think she was nearly 60 or 100 years, or 60 or 70 years ahead of electric arc lamps, you know. <laughs> you know, she foresaw that, you know. I think Volta did, uh, created the first battery in 1800. When did she write it? 1818 or something? So, you know, she was only a teenager when she wrote it. So when you think about that, the edge of possibility is not that far away it's never that far away is it she saw that whole you know her father was a scientist so he was very well educated and she sat in on salons and listened in to scientists and politicians and very educated men and let's face it she was a woman you know a very intelligent woman in a in a man's world and she could already see the potential use of this technology so the edge of possibility is actually closer than we think and that is particularly exciting and also very very scary do you think sometimes <laughs> i was just thinking like that speculative fiction can push forward 
these changes in technology by itself like you know if someone absolutely dreams up an idea totally 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 and it's absolutely happened Jules Verne 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea it was published in 1870 and you know in reality they've been trying for since the 16th century to to be able to create some kind of machine which would travel under the sea. I mean, it's just the ocean is that speculative realm that we just really haven't been able to, hadn't been able to access until then. And they'd given up the idea until Jules Verne postulated the sort of double-hulled Nautilus and the way it had floodable compartments and he wrote about hydroplaning. And 28 years after the book was published, they actually, Simon Lake developed the Argonaut, which was the first submarine to operate successfully in the open sea. And Jules, and he actually sent a note to Jules Verne and said he was inspired by his story. And that's how the submarine came about. I mean, so there you go. There's a concrete, absolute (laughs) example of how technology has resulted in exactly that. And we have, look, we have drones now. Look, do you know how in space, you know, when we see space movies and you always see a little spaceman with a jetpack flying around through space, you know, and then comes back to the space. (laughs) I mean, how long have we done that? How long have we seen that? How long have we known that? For our whole lives, right? For your whole lives at least, right? (laughs) You know, like that's like, do you know that only happened this year for real? The first time that ever happened where someone did a spacewalk with a little jetpack was this year. (laughs) That's insane. That's insane, right? Because we always thought that was possible because we've seen it on speculative (laughs) fiction for all of our lives. And now it is possible this year, just months ago, is the first time that happened. So, I mean, you know, speculative fiction is the place where if you, it's like that whole notion, if you think it, you know, we can make it. If you, you know, if you build it, they will come, that kind of thing. It is entirely that genre. You know, we will build it and it will happen, you know. And I think that, you know, if we can envisage, that's why I think that the whole 1984 and the eight, the whole AI thing, what, you know, the what will the robots do, iRobot, you know, we need to be thinking about that because AI is here, <laughs> you know. Um, and my, my husband works in AI, you know, in software. And I said, you know, what happens in, you know, when you use machine learning? He says, we don't know what happens in the box. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of just happens and we don't know. The computer doesn't. We're going, I'm going, you what? You don't know what's happening when machines are doing the learning? Okay. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So that is scary and exciting stuff. And it is incredible fodder for writers. Yes. And it actually ties in really well to our last um, expert talk where we were talking about AI and it's, it does get you thinking like, you know, about these advances that are happening. But yeah, it's really interesting to think that the influence that we have with our writing is perhaps stronger than what we might think, especially in the realms of speculative fiction. Yeah. I mean, it's just opening those ideas. I mean, when we think about storytelling, I mean, storytelling is a really big part of our lives. You know, everything we do is somehow framed in story. If we're watching the news, you know, everything is a story. You know, there's a story of this politician who did this thing or this monarch who went to this event. And 
you know, so we have everything is, is storytelling and the same applies in in business, you know, you get some evangelist who has an idea and then he goes to the funders and, and tells his story or her story in order to get the funding to make the thing. Or there's some kind of visionary who has an idea and takes his idea or her idea and off they go and create it. And that's kind of speculative storytelling happens in lots of arenas of our lives. And again, I think New Zealand's a great place for that because we are small and and agile and able to move. And and I think that's perhaps the same in business. You know, we're just a little bit, we're just a little bit agile. So, so I think, you know, yeah, it's, it is a very, very exciting place to be speculative fiction for that reason. And I, 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 it's just so pervasive in our lives. I don't think we realize how much speculative talk and discussion and can influence technology, it can influence business. I mean, and speculative fiction also influences our behavior. So let's think about, say, uh, and I mean, I, I do this talk a lot, so, you know, it's something I love and I'm passionate about, but let's think about Ebenezer Scrooge and, you know, The Ghost of Christmas Past, you know, A Christmas Carol. Now that book went out, and I don't remember the date, in 18 something, let me think, I need to tap and, and look it up, but it, it's basically been in print ever since it went into print, and I think it's something in the 18 something, and that book was basically the result of Charles Dickens, well, he, he was desperate for money himself, he was, he, you know, he had to give his publisher a book, and he'd been visiting the London poorhouses and he'd seen firsthand, you know, kind of the depravity and the poverty that people were living in and especially young orphans. And so he wrote A Christmas Carol in order to to express his dismay at people's attitudes towards the poor. And, you know, that I mean, you know, when you've got a ghost of Christmas past coming rattling its chains at you while you're in bed at night on Christmas Eve, well, that might just, you know, prompt a bit of, you know, charitable giving, which it has done. I was about to say, someone might listen. (laughs) Yeah, for centuries, people have been reading that story and giving at Christmas, you know. Yeah. You know, so, so speculative fiction does have a role in prompting social change. I mean, let's look at, I often say this, let's look at Jaws. I mean, who went in the water after Jaws? I mean, none of us went near the ocean for, for months and years after Jaws. So, you know, there is definitely a role for speculative fiction in developing social change. One of the things I like to see, for example, is this move towards superhero fiction, which involves people of colour. So we've got Black Panther with this wonderful plethora of black heroes and we've got Wonder Woman, you know, Moana, you know, we've got these Mm. wonderful heroes that, I mean, yes, we're still a little bit sanitised, but it's coming, it's moving Mm -hmm. in a, a really good direction. We are now able to see that heroines do not have to be white and male and young, you know, and beautiful. They can also, you know, they can also be people of colour and disabled and, you know, they don't have to wear a cape. So we're seeing some, you know, by modelling these things, we can say, yes, look, leaders can look different. They don't have to all look the same. They can behave, they can have different cultural backgrounds. So, you know, this is a brilliant place for 
so you know social change you know especially when young readers can see themselves in writing so I think we have a really important role in progressing social order and social politics in some ways, you know. And even going back, you know, let's look at Margaret Atwood's cautionary tale, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, yeah. um, which happens to be sort of coming to life right now in the United States. You know, we need to look at that and say, does is this what we want, you know? Even going back to the 80s when the the book was written, you know, that was a cautionary tale. And yet, you know, I'm I'm sure Margaret Atwood is probably rolling over in bed going, it's fiction, people, fiction. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting when I was reading up on speculative fiction that um, she was very insistent. She was one of the things that came up. She doesn't think it's speculative fiction. No, she, she was very insistent it was speculative fiction and was arguing against the science fiction a bit. Um, like you had said earlier with um, the other example, I can't remember. Yes, um, Heinlein. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Margaret Atwood, here I found her, I found her quote. She says, stories, she calls speculative fiction stories set on earth and employing elements that already exist in some form like genetic engineering as opposed to more wildly hypothetical science fiction ideas like time travel, faster than light drives and transporters. So I guess you have, yeah different definitions within like different people's views but it is interesting to see the different views around speculative fiction and what you know it's hard to say what's wildly hypothetical (laughs) now too isn't it yeah exactly yeah things we may have perceived as wildly hypothetical you know just a hundred years ago are now quite possible and not hypothetical at all so it's a very nebulous kind of area isn't it that you know what is possible and what is not because we just we just don't know yet Mm -hmm. yeah and we better hurry up and know because like I say that possibility is closer than we think (laughs) Yeah. yeah I think I think what we're saying though is that speculative fiction that the the concept of it evolves and according to where we are and in time and space and who we are you know it's it's an evolving thing i mean it may be that one day all fiction is speculative fiction i love the idea of that one i really like the idea of like the evolution of a genre that's quite interesting to think about like you know where it could go and you know what's kind of happening to it along the way i like that thought yeah, well, I mean, I, why wouldn't we? Because even the modes of dis- of communication are changing, are they not? I mean, you can write a short story in tweets now, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and so that's that's a different format from flash fiction or or a novella or an essay. You know, there are so many different forms of how we communicate. We're we're here on a podcast, you know, which might not have been possible a hundred years ago, which would have been just radio, for example. You know, this the opportunities, the formats, the process for getting out information and ideas has changed. And so we're always looking at new ways. And so even within the, you know, that huge umbrella of speculative fiction, even the the formats have changed and the processes have changed for getting those ideas out, you know, and they, they may just be an Instagram post, you know, or a, who knows what they might be, you know, another 20 years from now. 
it's really hard to say. You know, who's to say we won't be doing that telepathy thing? I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got enough with the social media in my head without having having it, you know, on continuous feed. But you know, there's who knows what might be the possibility in time. I mean, you know, there's there's so much new research and new ideas and new thoughts being considered and studied and and learned about you know it's a it's a big area and it's almost philosophy isn't it you know mm-hmm. is speculative fiction the philosophy of the roman times for example or greeks or back in the day you know what might be you know what is the purpose of life what is the meaning of life what is our human role on earth you know it's a big area isn't it Absolutely gigantic. (laughs) Which I think is where we came in with this conversation. It's a really big genre. We're talking about everything. Um, This conversation was making me think a little bit about our book that we have out. Uh, It is the beginning of it's loosely based on a pandemic, which we had written in years and years and years and years and years ago. And we always thought that it seemed a little bit, you know, unrealistic, some of the stuff that had been in there. We're like, oh, that would never happen. That would never happen. And then once, you know, COVID happened, we realized, oh, we did not go far enough. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly yeah. everything that was in there was not, I guess, realistic enough extreme to what happened. Enough. And like extreme enough. Yeah. So we actually had to then add <laughs> more sort of extreme measures in to set the scene because we realized, uh, what was, you know, what we thought 15 years ago when we put this down on paper is no longer the case, which was very interesting. Did so you kind of... did you have to stop and think, will we rewrite this? Or well, did it give you pause or did you just plow on? We rewrote some of the motivations behind the antagonist and really the setting a little bit. Like it was already there, but it just needed enhancing. Right. So I think, you know, like you look at something like that, you're like, what elements are there that you can bring out more to make it a bit richer in detail? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like I think one of the things we had in there was like originally the characters like, oh, you know, basically that, you know, we were forced to stay in our homes when the pandemic came. And originally Sarah and I were like, like a long time ago, you could never achieve that. Like, how could you possibly achieve that? That makes no sense. Like, you know, people will just go out on their own anyways. This doesn't, you know, make any, doesn't make any sense at all. And then afterwards we're like, oh yeah, no, they did that. <laughs> so we kind of had to like add more. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because more dystopian. (laughs) When I read when the pandemic started, I just, you know, I kind of, it's sort of not surprising. You know, if you've read a lot of zombie fiction, you realise that you know that this is exactly what would happen. You know, people would deny the existence of the virus. There'd be distrust, and people would think there's a conspiracy. There'd be violence and terrorism and then people would hoard resources I mean look at all the bread and the flour flour hoarding you know they'd reject advice and refuse to comply yeah you know there'd be anger and grief and panic and then the virus would take over which is exactly what happened so I mean that's uh, zombie fiction was already telling us that you know it's interesting that the French and I think the Canadian military include speculative writers in their think tanks to look yeah, at contingency yeah. plans. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes sense, you know, like, because really you are sort of taking a situation and then like blowing it 
kind of past, like what if, okay, so this is going to happen logically, this is the next step, logically, this is the next step, right? Like when you're kind of writing like that. So I guess when you're thinking about it from a sort of military perspective, you're saying, well, these people have already considered the logical next step. So like, if this theoretical situation was to happen, so let's use that to create, you know, scenario plan A, B, C. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) This is, this is, this is the point, isn't it? It's just that asking that what if at the edge of possibility. You know, I, we had a similar situation, Dan Raybarts and I, we've written a series called The Path of Ra. And when we were writing the third book of The Blood of the Sun, the Christchurch massacre occurred right in the middle of it. And we had just written this massacre on the Auckland waterfront. And of course, we didn't know, there were no procedures for massacres in New Zealand, no police procedures because we hadn't really had one. And then suddenly this happened and we, it almost felt prophetic, like we'd written it and we'd put it on the paper so then it happened. It was like, it felt, (laughs) we were just so, we were stunned, we were so stunned. We had to stop writing. And then we kind of watched and waited and we had some police advice, some colleagues who sort of said, this is what happened. This is how it happened. You know, what happens to, and, and what might happen if those victims were Maori. In this case, they were Muslim and Hindu and what have you. So, you know, like it was a, so the requirements were different, but you know, we were looking at, well, what ha- would happen if, as we wrote in our story, that there was gang violence, for example, where a lot of Maori and Pacifica people were killed on the on the wharf, what would be the procedure for the police? And how would you go, you know, culturally respect those remains, et cetera, et cetera, in a very high intensity situation? And, you know, just the emotion that that gave us, because that New Zealand had just lived this, dreadful dreadful thing and we had and we felt sort of responsible which is crazy of course but you know when you put it on the paper it's sort of there it's like oh here's you know you know so we did have to stop writing um and then we went back and as I say wove in these other important ideas which evolved out of that first massacre but we were so innocent we really thought that that couldn't happen here and then it did so like I say we are really close to that possibility and that is very scary and also very important it's a place we need to be writing to see what might happen next and to be prepared for it there is that element of preparedness with speculative fiction and if we go back to that notion of the genre being evolving let's also look at fairy tales because they need to evolve to keep up with the times you know I think of Little Red Riding Hood you know is little girl must not stray from the path or else she'll be eaten by a wolf you know Um, (laughs) let's look at some new narratives for how we can empower little girls I actually um My husband just recently showed me this book that was like the it's like a politically correct fairy tale storybook and he read to me the little red riding hood and basically what happens is the little red riding hood sort of goes along and 
the wolf eats the grandmother or something but little red riding hood isn't bothered by the fact that the wolf ate her grandmother because she's like well that's a wolf doing what wolves do and then like (laughs) i think it tried to eat her or something and then like the huntsman comes and then like kills the wolf and like you know she she manages she survives and but then they get really annoyed at the huntsman because he's like how dare you interfere with nature and it's really quite amusing yeah well I think in I think in the original story is not the huntsman supposed to be you know some man to save you you know and you know little red riding yeah it's like little red riding hood's like why do you think that i needed saving in the first place or <laughs> something i can't remember how well, it went, there are but... a lot of wolves in the woods unfortunately yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just quite an interesting take a politically correct um, fairy tale <laughs> book yeah i think you know there's space for that there is space for new forms of fairy tale for our yeah, you know, for our children going forward, you know, because they're going to be living in a, a new world. Yeah. Are you looking at the time? I was looking at the time. <laughs> I was, like, I was uh, looking at the time, but I also, like, I'm, I've been conscious of, like, not trying to, like, talk too much over top of you, Ashley. So I was, like, I know, wondering fine. if you had any questions that you wanted to ask before we wrap this up. No, I think I'm, I think I'm good. I've learned a lot about speculative fiction because I always I always saw the name of the genre and got quite overwhelmed by the list of genres that it encompasses but I think this conversation's made a lot more like made it clearer to me more the flavor of what speculative fiction is and why it can contain so many different genres as well so I think that's been really I hope you've understood that you are actually writing speculative fiction, both of you, and also how important it is, you know, how it is such an important genre going forward. And, well, it has been forever, you know, from the first fable, from the first myth, you know, and going forward, it's going to be so much more important if we're wanting a collective response to what we're facing, to all those what-ifs. I really think that, that, as I say, speculative fiction is the new black. It's the way forward. And I, and I hope everyone, you know, will just sample it and give it a go, you know. Like if you're someone who prefers, you know, who tends to read literary or tends to read nonfiction, give speculative fiction a go because – there can be some things in there that actually might show you a new a new way, just a new way forward. And I just, yeah, open your mind. I think there's just, there's space, there's scope in speculative fiction. So, yeah, open your mind. Did you have any um, tips on writing speculative fiction just before we wrap this up and any sort of wise words? <laughs> tips you know I'm always looking for that new thing you know um you know when you hear like you know one time I was just sitting with my son on the sofa and we were just about to watch a movie and you know Alexa system she spoke and she said the weirdest thing and it was just completely creepy and I don't we didn't hadn't spoken to her and she just opened up and said I won't say but she said something very very creepy or something about another (laughs) world it's in another world or something. Anyway, my my son and I just looked at each other and that's just the what if. And so, you know, when something unusual, uncanny, or you read something interesting, 
jot it down because that's the kernel for a new story. You know, um, if you're reading myth or, you know, fable or anything like that, you know, is there a new take on that? You know, how would you write that now? So for those people, there's just so many ways into speculative fiction, but the news is a good place. I mean, it's just the news is just an incredibly good it's a never-ending um, source of material. Yeah. We are, and like I say, we are so close to that possibility. I mean, when you think that how long it took to to get those astronauts flying around in space with little jetpacks, you know, don't wait to write it. Just just envisage it and write it. It's very very good advice, I think. So to wrap this up, we should probably ask you where people can find your books Lee they're interested in reading a bit of your spec fiction or learning a bit more about you yeah um you can find me on leemurray.info which is my website um I'm on the socials and if you want to buy my works there you can ask at your bookstore or get it in at your library that's always a good place I'm in the usual places so you should be able to look me up but first of all, first point of call, try my website, then you'll be able to find my books there. Thanks. Excellent. So I'd just really like to thank you for coming on to our show. I think we've had a really engaging conversation about speculative fiction. And at least for me, I've learned a lot about it because I kind of didn't really know what it was or I thought I had an idea of what it was. But I've definitely, my mind has been broadened by this conversation <laughs> and all of the, well, the potential like opportunities that are in that genre that I didn't realize before, basically. So thank you very much for sharing all of your knowledge in this space. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a really fun conversation. If you would like to be on our Author Spotlight series, then you can apply by going to lindersoncreations.com and hover your mouse over the podcast tab on the main menu and you will find a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's one of the just previously mentioned Author Spotlight sections where we'll be chatting to uh, one of our guest authors to hear about their journey and all about their books and everything which I'm really looking forward to and if you'd like to know more about us and our writing projects you can visit us at the aforementioned website lindersoncreations.com or contact us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle lindersoncreations if you enjoy the show please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week happy writing everyone <laughs> <laughs>